But um, as you come back and as we're thinking about that affirmation, where does a source of affirmation come? You know, I know I'm going to be dating myself a little bit uh, by saying this. And Pastor Jen told me not to date myself, but I'll do it anyways. Right. But, you know, Facebook. Right. So it's hard to imagine Facebook or for those of you who are younger, Instagram or TikTok. It's hard to imagine those social media spaces without the like button. Or without that heart button that you press that allows you as the poster to know how many people have engaged with your post. How many people have actually liked your post. But did you know when Facebook, uh, Facebook first launched in 2004, uh, did you know that it never had the like button that was there? In fact, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and his team of developers, as they were developing it and as they were growing in terms of what they wanted Facebook to be, for two years, his team kept telling him, we need to put a like button for people to click on as they engage in people's posts. But the irony is this, Mark Mark Zuckerberg didn't like the like button. So it actually took two years Uh, for him to finally approve until it went up on Facebook in 2009. So this became actually a new digital source. After that like button appeared, it became a new digital source where people could seek affirmation, a a place where people can seek self-affirmation by what they posted on Facebook. Social scientists started to study the effects of social media platforms and especially how these kind of likes or that like button influences the users on social media. And these are some of the findings that they found. Studies have shown that when we're together in person or over the phone and we talk with one another, because we are very uh, social beings and we like talking about ourselves, they found that in person, we actually like talking about ourselves and we draw ourselves as a topic of conversation 40% of the time. You know, it sounds like a lot. So whenever you're talking with someone, you usually talk about yourself 40% of the time. But what was interesting of what social scientists found is once we start moving from the mouth to the keyboard, so when we start posting and we post stuff on, on social media, that increases. It actually doubles. Where now we talk about ourselves not 40% of the time, but 80% of the time. They also found that a person receives varying degrees of a psychological high through a shot of dopamine, depending on the number of likes or hearts that they get on a certain post. So, for example, the more, uh, the more likes or the more hearts that they find on their post, the greater the shot of dopamine that they get in into their heads. And they also found that people were more likely to engage in posts that have been liked by a large amount of their peers. So when uh, a certain post is liked a lot and there's like over 100 or over 200 and it's a big kind of like there, people are more prone to engage in that because it seems like that's where all the action is at. It seems like that's where all the affirmation is happening and they want to be a part of that. See, researchers, they've always understood that there is a correlation between dopamine in the brain and the experience of pleasure. 
But rather than hypothesizing that dopamine was responsible for pleasure that we experience in the brain, these social scientists, they now believe that rather than the dopamine creating uh, pleasure, it causes us to seek it more. Let me simplify. What that means is this. So the greater number of likes that I have, I get a greater shot of dopamine in my head. That dopamine in my head that I get, it causes me not to just experience pleasure and go, ah, and I'm satisfied. It doesn't make us satisfied. That presence of dopamine in our head causes us to desire to seek it more. We begin to seek more expressions of that, more desires for that. See, there's a danger when we allow outside approval or outside affirmation to be our primary source of receiving validation. Listen to a quote by a 17-year-old talking about his social media likes. He says this, As someone who gets anxious and occasionally struggles with self-esteem, the amount of likes on my posts can be both hugely uplifting or depressing. See, this 17-year-old, he says that, yeah, I don't want to try to make my life all dependent on these kind of things, but what I found is that the number of likes on a certain post that I give, it can change the course of my day. It can make me feel hugely uplifted or it can make me feel depressed. It's pretty scary how dependent we can become on these outside sources of affirmation. Unfortunately, this actually gets worse. This isn't the worst of it. Many of you have probably already heard of the term death by selfie, right? Death by selfie. And what that is, is you'll notice that there are various influencers or those who have a lot of uh, followers on their accounts. They feel the need to continually put up certain pictures or certain things that cause people to like their pictures even more. You know, last year there was an influencer who was known for her risque, picturesque selfies and uh, was attempting to actually take another one, uh, another selfie in front of a waterfall. Tragically, as she was uh, positioning herself, she lost her footing, fell, and then eventually succumbed to her injuries and died at the hospital. See, in these cases... We can kind of see that need for self-affirmation, that need that once that dopamine shoots into our brain and we feel good about that, we begin to seek more of those experiences to the point where it's almost an addiction, where our whole selfhood is dependent on what other people say or how other people treat the certain posts that we put up, where our whole self-esteem is dependent on others. In these cases, we have to heed this danger of living for likes. In the case of the 17-year-old, it causes extremes, highs, and lows in their life. And in the case of this influencer, it literally brought about her death. Now, let me kind of relate that a little bit to our passage today. If you have uh, your Bible with you, please open it up with me to first. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 14. 1 Thessalonians 
verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 1 through 14. I'll read it for us. It reads this. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and had been treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that we can find our full approval, our full self-worth. We can find it in you. And by doing so, you make our selfhood, our self-esteem, our joy complete. I ask, Father, today as we kind of journey through um, uh, this passage together, will your word that you plant in us Will it do its work, Father Lord? Will it bring about its fruitfulness? Will it reconnect us to the source of life, to who you are, and lead us in the way that we need to go? Thank you, Father. We commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, so although Paul's world knew absolutely nothing, about 
the social media kind of posts or, or platforms. And it seems when we read the Bible, oftentimes the Bible feels it's outdated to some of the things that we experience today. But that desire that seeks likes, that desire that seeks people's approval, it was, it was nothing new. It happened in Paul's day. It happened from the beginning of time. In this passage, we see two different types of teachers. In today's language, we can call them influencers, right? We, Paul presents to us two different types of influencers in this passage. Paul first says, here is one type, and he introduces himself and his own group. And he says, we are the type where we find our whole self-esteem, who we are, our sense of approval, we find that in God. So there's one type of influencers that follow after God who finds their source of significance, their full source of who they are. He says, I find it in God. So no matter how you respond to what we share with you, we are okay. And we will continue in doing what God calls us to do because our source of significance or our source of approval is found in God. No matter how many times you press, I don't like, that you ignore the message that we bring to you, even though it is for your highest good, we will never uh, seek approval from you to make us feel like our self-worth is valid. We also see another group of people that um, influencers that Paul introduces indirectly. And these kinds of people, whenever they share, and even though that they are teachers among these people in Thessalonica, he says that their source of approval, even though the message sounds like the same, even though it seems like they are for God, their source of approval is not seeking God's approval, but it's seeking human approval. So it's very hard to discern because what Paul is really saying in our lives is we can be Christians or we can be followers of God and we can all look the same on the outside because it looks like our message is the same. We follow the same God as these false teachers were talking about this God as well. But what he's saying is the place in which we seek our primary approval, it changes our motives. And it changes the message that we share. Because when we begin to live for the praise or approval of others, it begins, it begins to change the kind of language, the kind of lifestyle that we begin to live because we are aware of how other people perceive what we do and we change accordingly. See, the reason why people wanted to hear and wanted to listen to these false teachers is because when the message became difficult, when Paul would say messages that would offend his hearers because he's talking about sinful habits, he's talking about destructive things that they want to hold on to because it gives them that rush of dopamine or it gives them that rush of self-significance, whatever that may be. And he says, you got to lay that down. When people didn't want to hear that because they felt like their life was dependent on it, they would reject his message. In fact, that's what Paul 
starts off with in, in talking about in, in starting off chapter two. He says, you know how our message was received in Philippi and how they went against us. And you know that how our gospel message was challenged every time that we shared it. Yet we would not waver from the truth because it was a message that was approved by God. The difference though with these false influencers is that in response to how people would perceive their message, they would cut out certain parts that would make others uncomfortable. And what they would do is kind of coddle in that nature. They would try to make the other person feel good about themselves, and it looks like they're being edifying, but they're not. Their desire or the motivation behind that is for self-centered reasons, is for them to feel like they're approved by others. You see, what he shows us here is as followers of Jesus Christ, we can either live in such a way where we become like Paul, where we seek God's approval and we find our source of significance in God's approval, or our lives can be directed by the seeking of people's approval, public approval. It looks like we're the same. It looks like we're following the same God. But what the source of our identity is, is either in God or it's in the hands of others. Notice the difference in what drives a person's motivation when they seek God's approval versus seeking people's approval. You know, when a community is driven by self-affirmation, when a community is driven, a, a God-fearing community is driven by the desire to get likes or to garner likes, the danger is that that community becomes primarily motivated by likes. And is not, on, not only are we enslaved by that because now everyone else is a little bit sensitive to how other people will respond to what they are doing, but we indirectly communicate a culture to everyone else that you, in the same way, should be seeking my approval as well. We become part of this kind of toxic spiral where everyone has their own values and Based on our values, we judge one another and we want others to follow in into our values. And so if you're living in, such, in a certain way and you're making certain choices, we want everyone else to like that. And in the same way, we're saying, I'm subjected to that kind of approval as well, where the other person has to approve how I live. You see, seeking validation from others, we expect that others should seek validation from us as well. And when we become this kind of community where we live to please people, Paul shares in chapter 2, verse 15 to 16, the outcome is this. The outcome is we begin to displease God in the way that we live. And then we also become hostile to everyone else around us because we become the center of this like community where we indirectly 
subconsciously let other people know that you have to be validated by us in the same way that we are validated by you. You see, when we begin to live in this kind of way, we strengthen our own positions of trying to validate ourselves or affirm ourselves that we become very judgmental of other people when they don't fall in line. But contrast that to what Paul says when a community is driven by approval from God, what actually happens? He says this community becomes an empowerment community. Notice that in Paul's passage here, nowhere, and he distinguishes himself from the false teachers because false teacher says they are doing certain things in order to please people. They are doing certain things in order to garner praise from others. But notice Paul's actions and the motivation that Paul has is because I've been approved by God and my source of significance in him, he says everything that I've done, all the sacrifices that he has made for the people, regardless of how they treated him, there is no part in this whole passage where Paul expects any reward or any payback for what he has done for other people. You see, the center of the motivation of Paul and why he does certain things is not to receive back, is not to be reimbursed for what he is doing. Because I did this for you, you guys do, should do the same for me. No, he says, because God has given me this and this freely. So I too want to give it to you, whether you receive it or not, and whether you acknowledge it or not. It's a very different style of community living. You see, he doesn't expect any one of his actions to be reciprocated. There's no, there's no anticipation there saying, because I'm doing this, I expect you guys to put a lot of money into the offering because I'm continually visiting the different places. No. He says, I've given you the gospel free of charge and I'm doing this because I love you. There is no sense of uh, anticipation of being reciprocated for what he has given. Brothers and sisters, isn't it true that sometimes when we try to be a community, we have certain value sets and these value sets, when we interact with one another, we kind of anticipate or we kind of assume that you should act in this way when I'm being generous to you in a certain way. Yes, in a Christian community, we all just say, yes, we know that we're supposed to do this as grace. Something that other people don't deserve and they shouldn't have to have that, um, that motivation to pay me back. But even though we say this, isn't it true that sometimes we still expect it? And when it's not given back, we become a little bit sour towards those people. Because we feel like they're not reciprocating what we are giving. But it's so interesting that what Paul says that he does it for the highest good of the other people because he is filled with God's approval. Brothers and sisters, can you imagine such a community. 
Can you imagine being part of a community where there's no like reading between the lines? There's no like, you know, I wonder why they did that or what's the uh, what's their motive behind uh, what they said or what they've given me. I wonder like, do I, do I have to respond back in this kind of, imagine a community where each person is so set on the highest good of other people. And there is no thought of it being reciprocated. There is no pressure of it. It's because they have found their full approval from God. What kind of community could this be? Because this is the community that Paul is talking about. He's saying, I am your leader. And as an apostle, I should be able to expect, he said, something from you. But he says, I expect nothing. And the reason why I expect nothing is my full significance is found in God. And he provides all of my needs. And out of that overflow, what Paul says is, now I give to you. And my greatest desire, Paul shares, is that you would be edified. Is that you will be built up. And because he just leaves it there, without expecting anything in return, he says, so be imitators of me and Christ in this kind of way. Brothers and sisters, how would that change us? Imagine that we come into the Zoom place or we come into our breakout rooms and whenever people talk, it's not about 40% or 80% about me. Imagine a, a room or a place where it's all about every person wanting to build up the other person. <laughs> Imagine being in a, in a place where the conversation becomes not so much about, man, I'm going through a hard time. Why, why did they say that? I'm so sensitive about this. But instead of that, despite what we're feeling, despite what is going on in our life, because we get disapproved by God, that our conversation is about wanting to build the other person up. Where me and Stacy will just say are in a group. I see Stacy on my screen, so I'm I'm gonna just call her out at this point. So me and Stacy are are in that same small group. And then when she speaks to me, all she's speaking about is, hey Eddie, how are you doing about this? I've been praying for you in this area. How's it been going? How can I help? And all I hear from her is this desire to build me up. In that same way, because it's infectious, I do the same thing. Where now, you know, I see um, Joe in the group and I want to do the same thing to Joe and I say, hey, Joe, what's going on in this area of your life? I remember that you shared that you're struggling here. What can I do to help? And our whole conversations, it really is about building the other person up, even at personal cost. But that personal cost does not feel like it's driving us down or sucking us dry. But we find motivation because God keeps filling us up. Our main source of approval does not become about, hey, is Joe going to reward me back and reciprocate what I just did for him? It doesn't become that. After I do that for Joe, I go running to God. And I say, God, I was able to build him up. I was able to share these kind of things. And God says, well done. And he fills me. With his grace. He fills me with self-affirmation. Fills me with his love. 
So how does this kind of community work? How does that develop? Rather than wishing it to happen, Paul gives us insight in, into this. And he says in verses 13 to 14, he says, it is by God's word for those who believe. That's what Paul says. He says that when I shared God's word with you, it's that word that was planted in you. And when he says, it's not just planted, it's for those who believe. And when he says for those who believe, he means those who put it into practice. Those who begin to live as if that word were true. So even before we receive anything from it, he says, as the word is planted in us, we begin to live like it is true. Just like Paul. He says when that gospel was entrusted to us, we began to share it with other people regardless of their reaction. Regardless of the suffering that we went through. And as he does that, that in his suffering he begins to experience that God's grace is sufficient for him. See, brothers and sisters, our posture should be that of wanting God's word to continually implant itself in our hearts. And it naturally causes us to become imitators of Christ. You see, when we receive God's word, we shouldn't receive it in such a way where we just say, oh, geez, you know, wow, Eddie, what he preached today, man, that other person doesn't seem to be doing that for me, right? And that person really needs to hear today's message because that person's so self-centered. That person's all about themselves. I wish that person came in today to hear that word. We're not thinking about other people. We're not thinking about other people and what they need to correct about themselves, what Paul says is that we focus on God's word being planted in us. And we seek that fruitfulness. We seek that deepening. We seek that flourishing to come out. So what's the reward then? When we begin to live this way, allow God's word to be planted in us, what does Paul say the reward is? He says God's work, word begins to, he says, work in us. It does its work in us as we begin to obey it and as we begin to live it. He says it begins to work its power, its restorative nature in our hearts, in our lives. We then become natural imitators of God and God's church. And when we begin, become natural imitators of that, the fruit that we give to other people as we meet in small groups, as we have our own conversations with one another, and we begin to do it for each other, we become self-propagating. Because you begin that culture by talking about the other and building that other person up, that it begins to propagate the other person when they receive it. They want to do the same as well. They're encouraged to do the same as well. And we begin to see God's work not only in our hearts, but uplifting the community together. See, the reward that we see in joining God's kingdom culture is that it becomes more fruitful, more of our peers, more of our brothers and sisters in the same community, we begin to develop that nature. And so when people come in and when we join any group, we sense that we're a community that deeply cares 
for the highest good of the other person. We see that it is a value that we share together. And that value is catalytic. It spreads. It propagates. It makes us feel good. You know, brothers and sisters, as we learn from Paul today, I want to challenge us to think, where are we finding our main dopamine hit from? Because if we continue in the way of these false teachers, we're insistent that someone has to care about my stuff as I bring those things up. Where we are insistent that my care for other people must be reciprocated. What we find in these people is that they continually find that rush that's never ending because they're never satisfied because that dopamine pleasure-seeking system, it keeps making them want even more, want even more, find other means of finding that more, and it never satisfies. What Paul says instead is find that approval in our relationship with God. He says, seek him. And see how God affirms you. You, God says, are his workmanship. He has made you to do good works. And I pray that every time that we go to God, that we sense this kind of refilling of our self-esteem, this refilling that we are created good in his image, and in this resending, saying, go and share this gospel this good news to those who are around you. Lift them up, bless them, and keep being refilled by me. Allow God's work, allow God's word continually work in our hearts, in our lives. Brothers and sisters, I want to invite you at this time to participate in communion. If you have your communion elements, please uh, grab them at this time. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Take, eat, and remember me. In the very nature of communion, we see a value of the gospel that we saw today being highlighted. Jesus gave himself to us without expecting anything in return because he loves us. And he says, find your significance, find your filling, find your satisfaction in me. So brothers and sisters, as we take this bread and as we ingest it together, let us remember that. That as we ingest it, we're saying, that's right. My significance is found in Christ. My source of significance is found in God our Father. I am his workmanship. And he has created me to do his good work. So brothers and sisters, let's partake of the bread together.
In the same way, he took the cup of the covenant and he says, This is my blood which has been poured out for you. Take drink and remember me. Jesus reminds us, he says, If anyone is thirsty, if any part of you is dry, he says, Come to me and I'll give you living waters that you will never be thirsty. For those of us who feel emptied inside, for whatever reason, whatever issues that we may be experiencing, may we experience the truth and the promise of Jesus' words that those of us who are thirsty, may we partake in the cup of the covenant to find that he heals us from the things that are causing our thirst. And he also fills us with his person to make us feel complete. So brothers and sisters, let's partake in the cup of the covenant together. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you are a God who knows our needs. You are a God who sees our emptiness. And your greatest desire is to fill us, is to give yourself to us. Father, our answer is right there. Our satisfaction is in you. And if we are seeking satisfaction through others, other people's approval, if we're seeking satisfaction in people reciprocating what we do for them, help us to lay down, Father Lord, that value. Rather than finding it in those sources, may we learn how to anchor our hope and our need to be filled. May we anchor it in you, the author and perfecter of our life. Father, I pray that you'll forgive us of our sin. I pray, Father, for those of us who have addictions to likes, who have addictions to other people's approval. Will you break that, Father Lord, in Jesus' name? Will you break those bondages, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name? I pray, Father Lord, will you fill us, Lord, with your love, with your goodness, with your truth? Thank you, Father. We commit all these things to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.